Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're going to look today at the Gospel according to St. John, um, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It is kind of the allegory or the parable of the vine and the branches. And uh, so let's first look at the gospel and see what he says and then kind of begin to look at what it might mean for us. Um, Obviously, um, there's part of it that is is, uh, very clear, but it also has implications that we might want to explore. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, no fruit, he cuts away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear even more. You are pruned already by means of the word that I have spoken to you. Make your home in me as I make mine in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit all by itself, but must remain part of the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. We have kind of an interesting issue in in this uh, particular allegory that Jesus uses. Because in the whole story of the Christian faith, when we deal with the concept of the real presence of the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist, in the body and the blood of the Lord, and uh, we say, yes, Jesus meant what he said. Um, And many others under the larger umbrella of, of Christian communities says, well, if you believe that he really is the bread and the wine, then you really believe he is a vine and a branch as well. And and that's, in, in fact, is I read several um, non-Catholic commentaries on this, and their arguments, um, their arguments are cogent, but, but there's an essential difference in it that, that they don't really seem to capture. And that is, and, and some of it, unfortunately, is a grammatical structure, but uh, but Jesus is using allegory, almost parable, when he talks about the vine and the branches. And um, the I am the true vine would lead us to believe that this is part of the I am proclamations of Jesus. But in a sense, it is not, because it isn't used in the particular sense that I am is used. The I am of Jesus in John's Gospel is the identification that Jesus uses of himself with a voice in the burning bush to Moses. For when Moses asked the burning bush to identify itself, they said, tell, what shall I tell, who shall I tell the people you are? And the voice responded, tell them I am. And from that I am in Hebrew comes the unspeakable name of the Lord God of Israel. Now, This is what so enrages the Pharisees and so forth when Jesus uses the I am statements. Because remember where he says, and they said, you know, um, you are not yet 50 years old and you claim to have known Abraham. And Jesus says, before Abraham came to be, I am. And so it's very clear in this state that Jesus is identifying himself with the word of God. As John And John does this in the very beginning of the gospel. It's interesting. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. And he was the light of the world, and so forth. All right. So Jesus, how John identifies Jesus with the word of God, and he does so in his own particular exegesis of the beginning of the creation narrative of Genesis. When we hear in the beginning of Genesis that there was God, the spirit of God hovered over the water, and God spoke the word, and then there was light. So the medieval theologians were very, very quick to see that that um, the Trinity was present in the very first proclamation of sacred scripture. The very first sentence of sacred scripture was for them the proclamation of the triune God. John picks this up, and John then says this word that God spoke that was light, that became light, that word was God and was with God. In other words, he is the son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is part of the Trinitarian God. He is, in fact, within the Trinitarian God. And so when he then um, is the word of God, then every manifestation of God in the Old Testament for John's theology is, in fact, the presence of the Son, the presence of the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Before his incarnation in human form, he is the pillar of clouds, he is the pillar of fire, he is the voice in the, in the burning bush, and so forth. He is the one who communicates the triune God to the people of Israel. And so... When Jesus identifies himself with this I am, then what we find is that he is claiming to be, he is in fact claiming to be the, uh, the, the word of God, and, uh, which we call the Logos, who is the, in, in more contemporary theology, when we move beyond the attempt to cry and rationalize the existence of being, and along with Joseph Ratzinger, come back to where the only thing we can know about being is what being reveals of itself to us, which is the logos, the word. In other words, Jesus becomes the object of all metaphysical exploration and, uh, and the object of all of our study of faith, for it is only through him that we can come to know being. And Jesus says that actually in the gospel itself. No one goes to the Father but through the Son. And... Uh, and so there is no avenue into the nature of being without going through the Logos, this word, the Son of God. So in John's gospel, he, he builds on this as he goes through the gospel. And he uses the things that Jesus has said in order to explain and to expose the, who, the real person, the real meaning of Jesus as Messiah to the Hebrew people, who react oftentimes very negatively and very angrily. Certainly, certainly this takes place when Jesus, in the the I am the bread of life narratives in the sixth chapter of John. But it's interesting. So why do we say when he says, I am the bread of life, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, um, you do not have life in you, why do we see that as essentially different than when he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, and every branch, and so forth? What's the difference between him saying, I am the branch, I am the vine, and I am the bread of life? What's the difference? The difference is the use of the language that he uses. And he is using allegory, sometimes even called parable, that he is presenting an image the um, 
the they ca- the the Hebrew language does not have abstraction, but they can use verbal imagery by painting a picture. And in words of a reality that has meaning to the people, it's the same way with you know I am the sheep gate, and it's the same way with I am the true vine. Those are not the proclamations of the I am of the Old Testament. These are the beginnings <clears throat> of allegory or parable, in order for the people to catch a glimpse of something familiar to them, which they can then understand what Jesus is saying. If Jesus were to say to them. He would have that, you know, I am, I am the source of your being, and uh, unless you adhere to the source of that being, um, you will not have life in you. That's not how they thought. That's not how they talked. I am the vine, you are the branches, I am the sheep gate, and so forth. He's presenting to them parabolic images, allegories, in order for, <clears throat> for them to be able to see and visualize within a very, very concrete language structure the dependency between themselves and God and the benevolence and the protectiveness of God. But when he says, I am the bread of life, something else has happened before he says that. And John does not, in fact, have an institutional narrative within the gospel according to St. John, according to his own gospel, because The Christian community, by the time John writes the gospel, is already celebrating the Eucharist. And in already celebrating the Eucharist, everyone within the community knows what it is. They already know and say the words, this is my body and this is my blood. And in in that particular language structure, that Jesus is using, we, we have a, a similar structure in English called the predicate nominative, where the verb to be connects the subject with a predicate that are exactly the same thing. It's actually the foundation, too, of what we call analytical philosophy, when the concept and the reality are the same thing. Well, this is, as I suppose we could say in contemporary terms, Jesus is, this is my body, this is my blood, is a philosophically analytical statement. It's a statement that says, this and this are the same thing. Now, there he doesn't go on in any way to elaborate that it is a declarative, a definitive statement and that since it is not lent itself to allegory, it has to be interpreted as authentic, as real. And so the terms have to be identical to one another. Bread and body, blood and wine are, identi- are terms that are analytically identical in the scriptures. And so that has already taken place. And that is already part of the life of the early Christian community. When John writes his dissertation, writes his, 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 uh, <clears throat> his discourse on the bread of life um, proclamation narrative of Jesus in the temple at Capernaum. And so when Jesus then says, I am the bread of life, he is also speaking within, uh, John is taking this and putting it within the context of a community which already believes that the bread and wine are the body and the blood of the Lord. He doesn't have to go back and say that. He doesn't have to present an allegory because they already in concrete reality are practicing that particular liturgical reality. So when he says, 
I am the bread of life. That is an authentic I am statement from the Old Testament. That is him identifying himself with the living God who has been revealed to the people of Israel. So I think we have to keep this in mind. It's complex, and certainly we could just say on the face of it, as it comes across in English translations of the scripture, that, well, what's the difference between the two? Well, there's a huge difference between the two, because one is allegory and one is a definitive statement, um, an analytical statement, we might say, in modern terms, where he is identifying the subject and the object of the verb to be as being himself in both cases. So we go back now to the vine and the branches. And I think it's important to say that because certainly if we are in discourse or discussion with someone who is not of the Catholic faith or the Orthodox faith, as a matter of fact, and they say, well, what's the difference? Well, there is a difference. And, uh, and it's, important that it, it, it's important that we know there is a difference. And the simplest way to say it simply is that one is allegory and one is a declarative sentence, although it's more complex than that. So we go back now to the vine and the branches. We've accepted the fact now that the vine and the branches are, in fact, an allegory. And so he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he cuts away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, and and it makes it bear even more. He says that this business of belonging to the body of Christ, this business of being grafted on to Christ, is one that is not a guarantee of permanency because our ability to remain in that attached position, that dependent position upon the Son of God, depends to a great extent on our free will and our desire to be with him or our desire to go our separate ways. Um, there's, a very, there's a very strong and a very different kind of uh, understanding of this as well. For certainly in the Reformation communities, when he says they'll be cut away, it means it has to mean for them that they are not predestined to salvation. It's God's choice. They have nothing to do with it. In the Catholic interpretation, and the interpretation is more consistent with Genesis, It says that, you know, if you do not bear fruit, well, whose fault is it if we do not bear fruit? It's not God's fault. It's not that we have been predestined to be losers. It's that, it's that we have sufficient freedom left after the fall, sufficient freedom left that we can cooperate with grace or reject grace. And if we reject grace, then we do not bear fruit and we are cut off from the vine, from the branch. And, uh, and in so doing, then, we have sealed our own fate. We have chosen our own destiny. We have done all of those kinds of things. And so he then, this then is a story about us, about a story of us receiving the grace of life from the branch, from the foundation, from the center, from the origin of the whole human race, that we have that, we have that. And we alone are the ones who are able to separate ourselves from it. And we do so, he says, by not bearing fruit. In other words, by not living the Christian life, by in some way, shape, or form, always choosing darkness or always choosing evil over good. Um, All of those things, those are, we can say, you know, we can say, um, as we speak, charitably with, with the Reformation communities, that... 
we kind of reject because we believe that from Genesis, the idea of having freedom, and this is Bernard of Clairvaux, actually, who has said this very, very strongly, but it's part of the Catholic tradition, that freedom is essential to being human. And that if we have no freedom, we have no humanity. And uh, we are simply automatons, marionettes, animals of sorts. Luther says we're depraved without it. But we have never thought of ourselves as being that totally separated from the branch, of that totally separated from the divine origin, from God himself. Our relationship with him is damaged. We might, might not be the most fruitful um, branch uh, on the vine. But until we totally reject the living God and totally choose darkness and evil, we do not wither and are not cut away. So there is always varying degrees of attachment to the person of the Son of God. And that degree of attachment has to do with a strange commingling of, of grace and freedom. And um, and for us, certainly in the 17th century, um, the church got into an abysmal argument of uh, quagmire about what is grace and what is freedom and so forth. And it's not the job right now to kind of go through all the, all the, uh, all the ins and outs of that particular argument. But suffice it to say, there was no conclusion reached and Rome finally silenced the, con- the, uh, the combating parties and told them no longer speak about it. But it has to do... <clears throat> in a sense, with, with viewing grace in some ways as, as kind of a commodity, when in fact grace simply is a word that we use for the love of God. And we ourselves can say, you know, there are degrees of God's love present in our lives. There are not degrees of God's love toward us, but there's degrees of God's love in our, in our acceptance of his love, of his grace. And so we can allow more or less of that into our lives. And it is within the realm of our own freedom to do so. So then, Jesus says, but you are pruned already by means of the word that I have spoken to you. How, how do we, if we're, if we're every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it. What is this pruning business? What does that mean for us? We all know that intermixed within our whole person, there, there are elements. There are elements of good and evil. There are elements of madness and sanity. There are elements of light and darkness. Every human person, in some way, shape, or form, has within them those things which should be gotten rid of for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the freedom of the human soul, of the human heart. And so how do we lose our bad habits? How do we lose our sinful habits? How do we lose the confusions of our minds? And how do we lose this troubledness of heart? How do we do that? Well, unfortunately for us, we have to do it usually, usually, in the very way that Jesus represented for us and led us. We have to do it by some form of loss, some form of suffering. There is no sinful attachment that we have within ourselves that goes away without experiencing a sense of loss. And a sense somehow or other that something has been taken away from us that we have been very dependent on. 
that whatever the degrees of suffering might be, all the way from martyrdom like Christ on the cross to simply the emotional sadness or the loneliness that comes from the loss of elements of ourselves which should go away, but which we have become very attached to. The pruning, therefore, is not necessarily a painless process. Hopefully, it comes through our growth in, in grace, our growth in holiness, our growth in faith, and it just simply falls away. But uh, human experience tells us that that's the rare way that it happens. Usually, instead, we have to face some kind of struggle, some kind of grief, some kind of sadness, or some kind of pain for us to be willing to let loose of those things which are destructive to us and those things which are destructive to the human soul and to the human heart. So in order then to stay attached to the vine that Jesus is using here as an allegory, we must be willing to suffer the loss within ourselves of those things which loosen our attachment to the center, to the origin. And then he goes on to say, make your home in me as I make mine in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit at all by itself, but must remain part of the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and with me in him bears fruit in plenty. The same thing, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. Life expressed and life experienced as something essentially good and not as just kind of animation. And so he said, but whoever remains in me will bear his fruit in plenty. For cut off from me, you can do nothing. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is another way of approaching a Eucharistic reality from, in fact, a parable and allegorical point of view. Anyone who does not remain in me is like a branch that has been thrown away. He withers, and these branches are collected and thrown on the fire, and they are burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask what you will, and you shall get it. It is to the glory of my Father that you should bear much fruit and then you will be my disciples. So there is a, a tremendous parallel in John's gospel between John 6, the bread of life, and John 15, the vine and the branches. Both of them are saying pretty much the same thing. This becomes a little bit more explicit, what it means not to have life in us. What it means is that we are cut off from the vine. And being cut off from the vine, we lack the source of our life, and we wither. And when we wither, we are cut off because we can produce nothing and thrown into the fire. The element to keep in mind in all this, though, is that there is an element of human freedom in the very base, in the very foundation of both the bread of life and the vine and the branches. One, a reality. One, an allegory. One, identifying Jesus with the Old Testament. Another, simply the use of a grammatical structure to explain an allegorical um, image for us, a parable image for us, the image of the vine and the branches. But what happens, what we have to, and this is a, how, how, could, how could we talk about how could we talk about um, that we are cut off and thrown away? Can we see the loving God, the God of all creation, uh, 
just taking us without our having anything to do with it and saying, all right, I'm sick of you, you're gone, um, into the fires of, of Gehenna with you. No, there is in this, the, the scripture has a whole context. And in that whole context, the scripture then constantly reveals the, the essence, the very core of the, of the kerygma, of the good news, of the, of the messianic message. And so there is then from Genesis, and there is then also in the whole history of Catholicism, and articulated very powerfully in the writings of St. Bernard of Clairvaux in the 12th century, um, that in fact, we are participants in the process of living and dying. We are participants in the process of being saved and being damned. We are the ones who, in our relationship with Christ and our willingness to be open to him with what modicum of freedom we might have left after the fall, we connect to the vine. We connect to the source of life. We connect to the origin of our being. And that, as a matter of fact, in the Bread of Life narratives, we also become, we consume being itself. We consume the Lord Jesus Christ. And he becomes a part of us. I am in you and you in me. And that when that happens, then anyone who does not remain in me, though is like a branch that has been thrown away and withered, they're collected and thrown on the fire and they're burnt. That if, in fact, you choose to disconnect from the vine, if, in chance, you, in fact, you choose to reject the source of life itself, then, of course, of course, we can't expect an alternative. God doesn't say, well, I gave you freedom. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Um, but when you exercise it in a negative sort of way, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. That makes no sense. He wouldn't give it to us if we didn't have a reason for it. And the reason for it is for us to respond to him. Love is not necessary. Love is not coerced. Love is the fruit of human freedom. True love is the fruit of human freedom, given from the depths of our hearts and our souls to another person. And in the case of our relationship with God, we then become the friends of the Lord. We then become the disciples. And he says this here, that those who bear much fruit will then be my disciples. We will then feed on the source of life. And that source of life will sustain us in our journey toward the kingdom of God, toward total union with God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit through the person of the Word. When, in fact, we do this, and when, in fact, we exercise our freedom positively in our relationship to the Lord, then we have life. And because in this allegory, we are not separated from the source of that life, from the very source of our own being. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.